0: Thank you for tuning in and now for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. You are listening to episode number 400 and dose, Woodsmanship with Cameron and Andy. And I am your co-host and the guy who saw two turkeys this past weekend.
1: Nice. I'm your co-host and the guy who figured out the female equivalent to the boy named Sue. Uh
0: (laughs) Uh-huh. Is it Bruce?
1: No, I think it's probably worse than that actually. I have a family reunion thing this week which I'm pretty sure somebody told me it's the largest family reunion in the world. I don't know how anybody could have a bigger one to be honest but it's like well you're not a descendant of Howell Taylor, so you don't get to come. You don't know if I am or not. Hey, you might be. That's I mean, right. he's 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 back in 1817 is when this thing started. 1817. If
0: he's, if he's got roots in Italy, then you know I could be.
1: Well, he started in 1817. I don't think he was Italian. I think he was straight from England. But anyway, it's it's over 700 of my cousins, basically all the descendants since 1817. All show up to this campground it's 11 acres that has all these wooden cabins and we all stay out there for a week so that's going on this week but with Josie this was her first year at Tabernacle and I had to recite our lineage as part of her dedication at the church you know, since 1817 is it's like a revival week for the family. And so the babies always are dedicated at each tabernacle, the new edition. So this, this year was Josie. So I had to recite the lineage from me back to Howell Taylor in 1817. Oh, wow. And so I nailed it. Key importance. I repeated it to myself at least 10,000 times. So I nailed it in front of everybody. Did you, so that was good.
0: Did you do something like, my um, mom and dad begot me. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Leviticus style. <laughs> uh-huh. And Adam begat so and so begat so.
0: <laughs>
1: no, I just did. So it's Josephine Page Weddington, daughter of Cameron Weddington, son of Will Allen Weddington, son of Charles Emery Weddington Jr., the son of Harriet Dick Mann, the daughter of Harriet Ann Taylor Mann, the daughter of joseph richard taylor son of richard taylor son of howell taylor so that's the lineage but that's where the boy named sue comment comes in my great-grandmother her name was dick Mann. that is my grandmother
0: so that was her first name
1: everybody called her dick man most everybody called her dicky and so what's funny my grandfather my dad's dad her son he was in the army all right and so my cousin told me the story this week. But first day in the army, the you know commanding officer is is getting the information from each of the new guys, and he walks up to my grandfather and says, "All right, I need your need you to put your mother's first name, her last name, and you know I need that information." And so he said, "All right, sir, my mother's name is Dick, and she's a man." And the guy, <laughs> the guy tore up the paper and said, "All right, son, I don't need you to be funny with me." He's like. My mom's name's Dick, and she's a man. <laughs> and it's true, because that's my middle name. Man, Cameron Man Weddington, M-A-N-N. Mm-hmm. But I figure that's a pretty tough name. I, I ran it by Audrey. If we have a second daughter, you know, go with Dick Man Weddington, but she didn't seem like she wanted to go there.
0: You keep buttering her up and warming her up on the idea. She'll, she'll cave eventually.
1: Yeah, but basically... Her dad apparently had seven daughters and wanted a son. He was Richard. I guess he was so bitter he didn't have a son. He just went with the uh, short name for Richard, named her Dick. Yeah. So pretty interesting. But
0: yeah, I know some people that have done that. I've I've got, well, there's a realtor that I used to do some business with years ago when she was in the real estate industry. She's not in it anymore. But her dad's name was Charles and she had a daughter and named... The daughter, Charlsey, huh. which I thought's a pretty cool name for a girl.
1: Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, Charlsey's a—that's a good name.
0: Tammy's going to be excited to know that you've got a great grandmother who's a dick because Tam- <laughs> Tammy comes from a long line of dicks. Her grandmother's maiden name was Dick, so all—and there were a bunch of of dicks, dick women in that family.
1: <laughs> that just came out strange. You said Tammy, you'll be glad to know your grandmother's a dick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's not that's not her last name. So that that is her first name. When you when you read her name off, I thought that Harriet Dick,
1: Dick man but everybody Dick. called her Dickie.
0: Okay. And so Harriet Dick was her first and middle name, not her first yeah. and maiden name. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. Because okay.
1: man man was her last name, so what I read off was her, her main name.
0: We've uh, gone almost this entire conversation with with a very sophomoric conversation to an extent. And I yes. think only laughed twice. That's pretty good.
1: That's true. When, when you, <laughs> That is it's true. That's good for us. Good for us. Yeah. What yeah. size were the turkeys you saw? Were they male, female, poult variety?
0: I saw one through... The back window of the truck out of the corner of my eye nice. as it was running off of a food plot. And I don't know if it was a hen or a... It was a turkey. <laughs> it was a turkey. I do know that. And then nice. the other one, and I saw no poults, but that mm-hmm. was in some pretty tall grass. And again, we were moving, had gone past yeah. the turkey before I could even get my eyeballs on it. Yeah. And so I don't know if that one had pults or not. And then the second one I saw, I know had no poults because it went hauling rear end across the road mm-hmm. into the woods and kept going and nothing was following it.
1: Hmm. Well, Seeing turkeys is always a good thing. Always makes my day better.
0: Yeah, but I did hear some a couple of reports from some of the guys down there that had seen some hens with some poles, but I don't believe good. it was anything like last year's hatch
1: yeah i mean that's what i'm i would say i'm hearing for the most part i've heard of one region of one state that apparently had an absurd hatch but outside of that you know around locally i'm i think we had an above average hatch again like i i think we probably at least hit that two pulp per hen mark hopefully you know where we're in expansion but i don't think it was like last year's just crazy yeah but i I mean, I think this dry weather has been really helpful for turkeys because I'm in more of a floodplain over here. So that, that those big floods really, really hurt the populations. Yeah. And we've had two really dry springs and summers the past two years. And thank the Lord. I mean, we needed some rain. We got some yesterday. So hopefully some of the farmers will be bailed out. I don't know. I think they're probably going to be hitting up crop insurance this year. It's everything looks pretty fried.
0: Yeah, that stinks. Mm-hmm.
1: But it is okay. We got some rain yesterday, so maybe it'll come around. You never know. Sometimes mm. that, you put that water to it, it's crazy how much it can green back up.
0: Yeah, it is. That so we'll, is true.
1: We'll see, but we were in quite a drought. How uh, how long do we have till turkey season? We haven't done that in a couple of weeks, I feel like.
0: <laughs> well, in Alabama, we're 247 days, 20 hours, 50 minutes, and 20 seconds.
1: Well... You know what? You and I are going to be chasing them in 224 days. Mm -hmm. That sounds mo' better to me.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: And I'll be chasing them in 67 days, just fall variety. Spring one is 224 days. Mm -hmm. And update on last week's coon killing. Got four more in the bag this weekend. So I sent you a video, called one up. That one did it just right, came charging in. But they're still doing it. It's pretty cool.
0: The video you sent me is pretty cool. Yeah, fact, that one, it got me so fired up i went to the backyard with my bluetooth speaker in hand because i thought <laughs> i don't have a gun so if this if this actually works and one comes charging in here i'm gonna have to throw the speaker at it hand-to-hand combat uh-huh <laughs> and i don't like my odds against a raccoon in hand-to-hand combat they're
1: pretty, they're pretty bad
0: dudes and they are so I I went out there with the baby coon in distress call and no had luck. no luck, Dang. no luck. Well,
1: yeah, we got oh. two yesterday and two Sunday afternoon. The we should have had three Sunday. We had a miss. It kind of just popped out of the bushes, raised his head up. My buddy shot, and right when he shot, the coon went down to start running again. Mm. He shot over it, and then yeah. it just dipped back in the bushes before he could get a second shot. But it's it's been working pretty good. I mean, both I got those four, maybe hunted one hour both days. We got two both times. So it's yeah. not bad. That's 12 raccoons that we've called in on four hunts and, a, you know, maybe hunted an average of an hour and a half to two hours. So that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Which that puts, puts me up to 62 raccoons, I believe, on the year. Yeah. 62 raccoons and 77 total predators.
0: So we have about four and a half months no five and a half months before the end oh, of the we're gonna year. be in the hundreds yeah you'll break a hundred before the end of the year pretty easily
1: yeah, yeah I'm, I'm waiting when my brother gets the crops out in September that's when I'm gonna hit the ground with the traps again but mm-hmm. it's just difficult to navigate the properties right now because everything's planted and I want to run over his crops so it's just gonna be easier to wait until his crops are out to run traps. I mean,
0: your trap line's more important than his crops and livelihood, isn't
1: it? <laughs> I mean, probably just a difference of perspective there. I mean, hey, Will, look, I can catch all these coons and you can have a turkey every year to eat, or you can make income. Which one do you want, you know?
0: I choose Pretty turkey.
1: Easy, yeah, easy decision in my book. Yeah. But I'm excited for our topic today. I've, I've actually written down some things. It's the first time I think I've ever written notes down for a show, but... This is probably my favorite topic ever
0: it's a good one why don't you why don't you take it away tell me what is your definition of woodsmanship
1: i would say that my definition is how someone carries themselves in the woods and in addition to that the always learning from the woods process is mm-hmm. it's never ending i mean i don't i don't think there ever has been or will be a human being who will understand the entire ecological process of the woods in any region, you know, yeah, like all of it. So I think that's a huge part of woodsmanship is the being able to learn from your experiences while you're in the woods. And then also how you conduct yourself throughout the woods. That, that'd be my definition. What do you, how would you define it?
0: So I've got an example of what I think or who I think truly embodies the perfect woodsman. And now we all know there's some drama that's built into these shows, but when they these survivalists go out and in the woods in Alaska and survive yeah. in the winter and they're left, you know, taken out into the woods with nothing, essentially, you know, a tool or two, and told to survive, for as long as they can survive, and they do it, and not only do they survive, but some of them, the best of them, thrive and love every second of it, to me, that is the master woodsman. And so, you know, it is, I've got to throw something in there none of our guests have thrown in, but it's extremely important to being a very, very good woodsman, and that's safety. If you're not safe, yeah, if you're not safe, and you do something that injures you, takes you out of the woods, or worse, kills you, (laughs) you're not in the game. So people
1: don't kill many turkeys.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, to me, safety is one of those qualities. Knowledge before you get into the woods, and then gaining additional knowledge while you're in the woods to add on to what you even brought in along with that comes experience and then becoming the woods becoming a part of the woods you know yeah
1: i mean i I would say the native americans greatest woodsman's of all i mean because they they had
0: nothing like we
1: have today survived and like you said i mean a minor injury to us today would have taken them out you know yeah (laughs) and so dead people may be able to vote democrat but they cannot (laughs) turkeys.
0: Why not? (laughs) Why not (laughs) come? It's summer. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think most of us who spend a great deal of time in the woods, and I'm not just talking during turkey season, but even deer season and even in the off season when there's nothing to hunt, whether it's scouting or working like a lot of our timber crews do and foresters and biologists and, you know, Obviously, farmers, even though they're not necessarily in the woods, you know, they're out in the field. But, you know, I think everybody in that group can relate to becoming the woods. When you're sitting against a tree and a bird comes flying through the woods and lands on your shoulder, or you're sitting in a tree stand and a squirrel climbs up the tree that you're sitting in and sits on the branch, right off of your shoulder, like mere inches from your head, you become part of the woods. And so, you know, I, I think we can all relate to that. And to me, that's what woodsmanship is. You know, we don't necessarily, we hunters don't necessarily have to be the ones to go out and survive, you know, off the land because the vast majority of us are supplementing our freezer with wild game. There's people like, you and me who are fortunate enough to be able to fill the freezer and live for the yeah. vast majority of the year off of the wild game that we kill yeah but we don't have to do it
1: no absolutely not
0: and so you know you, you think about those people that are survivalists who are off the grid you know to me those are are your true woodsmen so that's yeah. kind of the definition yep. for me a little long-winded there
1: yeah well, that you know brought up some good discussion too I have personally kind of taken recently the approach of I want to learn more about the plant species yeah. that are growing in the woods because I'm, that's just something I never really have done is identify the plants. It yeah. never really interested me till now, but you know, suddenly I'm like, you know, it'd probably be advantageous to be able to know, hey, there, here's this plant, it's everywhere, and here is this good or bad you know Mm -hmm. and so what i'm doing woodsmanship me you know using technology (laughs) i got it's called picture this and it's an app on your phone and you do have to pay for it per year but it's really good you just take a picture of the plant and it'll identify it for you and tell you all about it while you're sitting there so that's something i'm using and so what i'm kind of been doing is identify a plant and then when i'm walking through the woods i'll try to identify it again without using the app you know like get to where i can tell okay here's these are lizard's tail which was one we have a lot of which is apparently one of a beaver's favorite foods Hmm. we have a lot of that growing in our bottoms and so you know now i know what that looks like i can identify that pretty good you know and partridge pea identify that that's really good for your turkeys and quail probably why it's called partridge pea yeah i don't know Maybe that's where they came up with it. Who knows? But that one's really good for your wildlife. And it's just been interesting. You know, I found one on <laughs> in our horse pasture at one of our properties that it's bracken fern. Apparently it's poisonous to livestock. So I was like, hey, uh, huh. you might want to get rid of that.
0: <laughs> I didn't know bracken fern was poisonous to livestock.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they would have to consume quite a bit. But if, I think if they got in there, you know, ears deep in it, and we're just sucking it down. It is poisonous to cows and horses is what it said.
0: Interesting. Okay. So there's
1: things like that. I mean, there's outside of turkey hunting, which we'll get into woodsmanship and turkey hunting, but I just want to feel more well-rounded in the woods, you know? And that's part of why I love turkey hunting and hunting and outdoors in general is it's just, you're always learning, you know, and like learning the plants, learning the animals, learning habits of those animals. And I don't know, it's, it's fun, you know? when you can identify things in the woods that you didn't when you were younger, to me.
0: Well, and I'll tell you a valuable side benefit of taking the time to learn about the plants and the trees and that kind of stuff that are around you is that it slows you down.
1: That's a good point because mm-hmm. you, you notice more.
0: Yep. not only does it make you a better woodsman because you're more knowledgeable about the woods and the area that you're hunting you're learning you know what plants are beneficial to animals and then you start looking for those plants but it slows you down and i think i've told this story before well i know i have because i had the young man on the show when he and i hunted together but we were turkey hunting one morning and on this old hunting property that we had we had a food plot that must have been an old Indian camp because anytime we'd run the tractor through the food plot and disc the soil up, you could walk back through there and there would just be arrowhead after arrowhead Uh, after arrowhead. Yeah. And so we were turkey hunting one day and nothing was going on early in the morning. And we ended up just on our path, ended up in this food plot. And I think he was, oh, maybe 12 at the time. And so we got in this food plot and I, you know, we're still being very quiet. And I just whispered to him, hey, you know, let's kind of look around a little bit out here and see if we can find some arrowheads. I think this used to be an old Indian camp, camp area. And, and it's kind of cool when you look at the topography, this acre of ground that we've made into a food plot, mm-hmm. we had made into a food plot, was two to four feet in elevation higher than everything mm-hmm. around it. Yeah. <laughs> and That's it's a awesome. hundred yards from a creek that when it rained, it would blow your mind how much water would go through that creek. Wow. So, you know.
1: Indians uh, are pretty smart about that kind of stuff.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But anyway, we're we're walking around in this food plot, and we'd found two or three arrowheads. And off in the distance, I hear, ow. <laughs> and I stopped, and I looked. I looked at the kid, and I was like, he has no clue. But did I just imagine it? <laughs> And I'm sitting there and the I, I've part. not, yeah, I've not bent back over. I'm not looking for any more arrowheads. I'm just listening at this point. A couple minutes later, I hear, ow. And I said, Ethan up at me and I said, do you want to go kill a turkey? And his eyes got real big. <laughs> and that's what we did. We left there and we went and, and killed a turkey. But, you know, just if we had been walking through the woods. Wouldn't have heard him. We wouldn't have heard that turkey gobble. No, I'm not saying we wouldn't have probably you know our paths crossed with that turkey at some point and maybe you know he still would have been gobbling but just the fact that we had just slowed down Mm -hmm. gives you gives your senses a chance to take everything in your your ears you're listening your eyes you're looking and so doing that looking and learning about those plants is a big advantage to us when it comes to turkey hunting in my opinion
1: yeah yeah i was looking at some plants the other day and found a pult feather, which was really neat because that, I mean, it was very small, tiny little turkey wing feather. Yeah. And something that I would have never seen had I not been examining the plant that it happened to be under, you know, yeah. so you just notice some cool stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And for you guys that want another app to load on your phone, try Cameron's, but i also, I have one that I use, is called Plant Net.
1: Nice. Yeah, I think there's several out there. That's yeah. just the one I've came across yeah and so I, that's the one i've been using but it's pretty fun i'm not gonna lie, i really like it and yeah. what's cool too is it'll show like the pictures of what if it's a flowering plant what the flowers look like on it you know like mm-hmm. when when that's in so you're looking at this green sad looking plant right now but <laughs> shows what it looks like at its full glory which is nice yeah yeah but as far as turkey hunting and woodsmanship I'm going to be pretty candid on this episode since we're in July. I'm not going to hold back too much. Usually I don't disclose much information, but I'll give some things that I've learned from turkeys and turkey hunting, woodsmanship-wise. And one, before I go into some things I've learned, I guess, I was talking with Larry Prophet. You know, a couple weeks ago, I got to sit down and and meet him and just share stories and listen to his stories, and he showed me all his calls and stuff. And that guy's, you can just talking to him you're like he's got it he's got that woodsmanship trait and obviously he's killed i don't know how many royal slams so (laughs) he's doing something right but he was telling me about a turkey he killed in south carolina where the turkeys were not gobbling at all like he said they weren't hearing anything but they knew there were birds on the property and what he found was some fresh strut marks in a creek like in the sandy soil of a creek And nothing gobbling, so next day he set up on those strut marks from daylight, nothing. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he squeezed the trigger on that gobbler. Hmm. And all he had found was strut marks. But he said he could tell there were fresh ones, medium old ones, super old ones. He was like, this was his spot, you know? Yeah. And he just sat there and called softly every now and then and waited on him because he knew this was along that gobbler's route. He's going to stop in there and strut. You know? Yeah. And so things like that, when turkeys are not cooperating vocally, he was able to use woodsmanship in noticing those strut marks in the soil and noticing that they were all different ages, you know, and and be able to kind of paint that picture of, like, he's coming here often. Like, this is the stop along his route every day. So I'm going to sit here and wait on him. Yeah. And go ahead.
0: And in knowing the ending of that story, it makes even more sense and this is, again, you know, I, I'm making, I'm inferring some things here. So, you know, you guys bear with me, but I'm going to use woodsmanship to make those inferences. And that is two o'clock in the afternoons when he killed the bird. Mm-hmm. That's your hottest part of the day.
1: Water right there.
0: Water. And I have never been in a creek bed where the ground wasn't five seven degrees cooler than any other place around. And that just makes that area, you know, cooler during the hot part of the day. And turkeys know that stuff because they have to live in it. They are the ultimate survivalists.
1: Yeah. And that gobbler also knows if he likes to be there, that the girls are probably going to be coming around that area too. So if he's sitting there with that fan showing around, he might, Attract some women to his area. Yeah. So that was something that when he told me that, I was like, man, I mean, there's a classic example of woodsmanship killing a turkey that, you know, running and gunning type style that day with nothing gobbling, like your odds are pretty low. So I thought that was pretty cool. One thing I've learned from you and from my own experiences, when you're moving through the woods, you got to listen for drumming. I mean, Mm -hmm. and you have to like mentally, it's hard to explain, but used to when I moved through the woods, I probably didn't notice any sound on earth other than a gobble, you know, like my ears were so tuned up to listen for a gobble anywhere, you know, like I'm just so honed in on wanting that sound that there's no telling how many drumming turkeys I walk past, especially in my four year tenure of hunting Alabama, because they don't gobble and they just drum. But in the dark, walking in in the mornings several times, you don't hear a gobble, but all of a sudden you kind of feel that drum. Yeah. And then you stop and you hear it again. And sometimes it's so faint that it's like, was it, is it like, am I making this in my mind? <laughs> you oh, <yeah>. know? <laughs> and, and I swear, half the time I am. Like, a, you know, nothing ever comes of it. And then I'm sitting there wondering, like, was I really hearing drumming or was this in my brain? You know, but. Mm-hmm. I have gotten to where if I think, if I get that feeling like where it just hits me of like, that was a drum, you know, like there's, it just kind of hits you. I set up and sit down and get ready. Yeah. And, you know, I've had that work. I mean, this past year and one of my out of state trips, we were trying to roost turkeys and we heard one goblin way off. And so we're listening to him gobble and he's pretty good ways off. And all of a sudden, uh, my buddy that was with me was showing me a picture of his dog or something. And while I'm looking at the picture, I go, I just heard drumming. And he's like, what? And I was like, I, there's a turkey drumming. And he's like, there's no way, dude, that turkey's gobbling way over there. And I was like, that, it's not that one. There's another one drumming somewhere. And so I start getting tuned in. I'm like, he's, he's to our right, and he's getting closer. And so anyway, long story short, the turkey pops out. and I was listening to him drumming at 170 yards. And we see him. We see him fly up. Never gobbled, only drummed. The other one's still gobbling, but we decided because we saw that one actually come off the ground and go in a tree to hunt him the next morning,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we come in there the next morning, he never gobbled, he just drummed in the tree. He had like 10 hens with him too. He didn't need to gobble.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: this is, a, this is a Rio, you know, like ones you expect to gobble. Yeah. And never gobbled, just drummed in the tree, flew down, toes touched the ground, got his got himself shot. And he was toting some daggers, Mm -hmm. you know, and we killed that turkey only because of drumming. I mean, there was no gobbling involved. And so just hearing that drum, I mean, you and I in North Carolina, one of my first ever out of state trips, you know, seven, eight years ago, we were going up that hill and both of us froze and looked at each other like, was that drumming? (laughs) Yeah. And we almost killed that turkey, but it it was. He was right there in front of us. Yeah. So, that's one thing. You you had an experience this year. You said off the roost, you were standing on the road listening, but you heard drumming. Is that right? And you're in Alabama, isn't it?
0: Yeah. You know, that it it is what you said, and I hate to give away secrets about hunting in Alabama, but... the birds.
1: Hey, good luck Uh, anyway. I don't care what uh, secrets you give people.
0: (laughs) Again, I'm going to infer some things, but I think it has a lot to do with the amount of the number of predators that we have, how thick a lot of the woods are, and how much hunting pressure we have because we have a long season. We have a generous, too generous bag limit, and so the turkeys And you can hunt all day long, and so the turkeys are pressured from the time they fly down until the time they fly up, whether it's humans, or it's coyotes, or bobcats, or foxes, or whatever it happens to be. But a lot of times when those birds hit the ground, they won't gobble. And if you're not listening for drumming, you will walk by more turkeys. You will spook more turkeys than you'll kill, which, you know, I think we can say that safely about anywhere. Yeah. But... It's something that I've had to learn to do in Alabama, and it's served me well in other areas with these, you know, with the tougher turkeys. And it's just what you said. You know, we talk about it on this show. We have probably every guest that's hunted other subspecies than Easterns say Easterns are the toughest, but they can all be tough. That turkey, that Rio that you killed didn't get to have daggers just because he's a two-year-old and he didn't get to be older than two by gobbling his brains out all the time. So, you know, he learned when you've got girls, you can still call in more girls quietly yeah. and not call in hunters and coyotes and every other predator out there. So Yeah,
1: no doubt. it It absolutely is something to listen for. And another thing to listen for and – This one I've seen kind of more publicized recently from several people, but a Jake calking, caulking, I don't know how everybody says it, that, you know, sound. Typically, if that's done in the spring, from my experience, typically, not always, but it's high enough odds I'm going to set up on it, he's doing that to a gobbler that's drumming. Or he could hear one gobble. He. That caulking sound in the spring from a Jake, if they're flocked up, usually is him honoring the gobble or a gobbler that's drumming, from my experience. So we saw it, you and I did in Virginia a couple years ago when that Jake was in the tree right behind us. Yeah. Every time that turkey gobbled, yeah. right on top of him. Every time. I mean like clockwork. Yeah. And they'll do that to drumming too. So like if I'm moving through the woods and I hear that calc sound i'm just gonna i mean hey worst case i call up the jake and he's by himself and i get to look at him and enjoy it you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. but a lot of times or especially early season those gobblers they're not they'll let those jakes be around with the hens you know they're not like all split up really yet they're kind of jakes are on the fringe just working around and if that gobbler drums right by that jake he'll (laughs) oh on top of it so, and you can hear that from a lot further distance than a drum most of the time. Oh, yeah. So, if I hear that Kalkin sound, I'll get in there and try to call up some turkeys, and you just never know what's going to be with them, because, I mean, I've seen it even late season, it wasn't Calkin, but, like, I've seen some gobblers, it's like a two-year-old gobbler many times will have six, seven jakes with him, you know, like, it's like they just want to hang out with the young guys, I guess. I don't know what it is, but... It's like the subdominant birds, even if they're jakes or young gobblers, sometimes will be together. And so I've I've had that happen later season, even with the the gobblers and jakes like that. But that's another thing to listen for when moving through the woods. That's not a gobble, but could be an indication that a gobbler is there.
0: Yeah. Well, and you can also say the same thing about crows calling and the same location. Oh yeah,
1: that was that was my next thing.
0: one of two things is going on there they're either harassing turkeys or they're harassing a hawk
1: yeah
0: depending on what part of the world you're in
1: most of the time if it's a hawk you can hear the hawk too yeah you know you know going crazy and so you know like okay they're they're just getting that hawk those crows definitely if you can tell they're all just going especially if you heard a turkey gobbling somewhere in that vicinity that morning And then, you know, you hadn't heard him in three hours, but all of a sudden all the crows are going berserk pretty close to there. That's probably your boy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's not just crows. I had, I was hunting in Georgia at two o'clock in the afternoon, covering ground. And all of a sudden an owl, I was just in an area I'd never hunted before. You know, I didn't know if there was anything in there. I'd seen some turkey sign and an owl just, Two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, really random time, just and just started going crazy. And in my mind, the way he was going nuts, I was like, something is irritating him. And like, because that's not normal for an owl to just go nuts at two. And the way he was like hooting and stuff, I was like, he's he's after something. So I moved over there, sat down. I'm I'm setting up on an owl hooting. You know, like that's just kind of weird. But I started calling five minutes all of a sudden a hen pops out right from where that owl was yeah and big boy was right behind her (laughs) there you go and he's strutting and i did not get a shot on him sadly but that would have been a heck of a story but i definitely saw the gobbler he got a bush between us and then i never saw him again so he must have seen me move on him or something but that owl hooting and, and you're right on the crows i definitely have seen crows where sometimes sometimes you get lucky and they'll start going nuts, and about five minutes into it, he'll rip a gobble just to confirm these there, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But sometimes he doesn't, so it's it's definitely worth checking out. If you got nowhere better to be, if the crows are all going berserk in one area, I tend to gravitate that way.
0: Yeah, well, and that's, you know, that's, I guess, something I want to touch on is, you know, I've asked the question of every guest we've had on to talk about this topic, what their definition of running and gunning is, because to me, it means two things. Literally walking, calling a lot of ground. Let me rephrase that. Literally walking and covering a lot of ground while you're calling. That's what the vast majority of us think about running and gunning. But when you hit an area where you know there's turkey sign and that there are turkeys in that area, to me, Running and gunning is anything but sitting down.
1: Yeah, I may if if you're moving.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I may cover a hundred yards in an hour. And so, you know, in the if I were deer hunting, I would call it stalk hunting. And we all know how good a turkey's eyesight is, but if you're covering a hundred yards in an hour, you're not covering much ground. You're doing way more looking, way more listening than you are covering ground and i cannot tell you how many turkeys i have seen doing that before they ever saw me
1: oh yeah yeah if you're moving slow through the shade you'll be surprised how many times you can get them before they get you
0: and i'm glad you mentioned that you know that's part of woodsmanship using the shade using the shadows being a part of the woods you know that's part of it and
1: yeah, you're, you're, especially if you're Caucasian like myself, if your mask getting up or your gloves aren't on and your gun and your camo, if you're in the sun, you, I mean, you're just very obvious. Just go sit in the sun, take a picture of yourself from a distance or something with a tripod, and then go sit in the shade and do the same thing. It would, it's just amazing the difference of how hidden you are compared to all that shiny stuff. I don't care how dull your camo is, something's shining, your gun barrel, something if that sun's on you.
0: That's another thing I'm glad to hear you mention is your head net and your gloves. There's no reason for us to not have on our head net and gloves as we're walking through the woods from area to area or moving from one location to another to get around a bird or anything like that. Yeah. And I know... Out of the friends that I hunt with, I'm the only one that will wear a head net almost from the time he steps foot into the woods until the time he's walking out to go back to the vehicle or back to camp.
1: Yeah, that is and true. You wear like a mesh one like that you breathe through, correct?
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And does it get hot? Yes. You know, is it, do I take my gloves off occasionally, you know, use the bathroom to switch turkey calls to unzip my vest and pull a call out and zip it back up. Yes, they come off, but they go back on. And the head net, you know, yeah, I'm putting a diaphragm call in a change in diaphragm calls out and the head net will come up. And, you know, so it's not like it's on me and, you know, never gets moved from the time I step in the woods to the time I come out. But I'll guarantee you ninety seven, ninety-eight percent of the time I'm in the woods. Is the headnets on. on and the gloves are on. Yeah. And what am I there to do? Am I there to be cool? I mean, like temperature cool or am I there to kill? And I'm there to kill. If I wanted to be cool, I'd go back to the camp and sit in the air conditioning.
1: Now that's a good point. You know, and it's just another part of your, you and I both, our skin does not blend into the woods. <laughs> yeah. In, in any capacity, there is nothing that looks like it especially if sunbeams are hitting it or whatnot. So that that's a good point, you know. And if that helps from one gobbler every two, three years, seeing you that would have seen you had it not been on, well worth it in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and,
0: and, you know, hunting with Chip drives me crazy. He cannot <laughs> stand to have his head net on or his face <laughs> mask on. It, dry, it, it, it irritates him. And so there are oftentimes that we'll be walking into – turkey to set up on him and chip has not put his face mask on or his gloves on and Mm. i'm like dude put please put it on Mm. you know you're we're 10 15 20 yards from where we want to set up what if he sees you Mm. because you don't have it on and it makes all the difference in the world when you have on that head net and those gloves and you're getting close to one i will assure you I will guarantee you, you're going to get closer to turkeys if you've got head net and gloves on than you will if you do not. So, that's a
1: pretty safe assumption.
0: Yeah. So why not wear them all the time? All right. Yeah. I'm getting off that. Y- you, you mentioned a gun barrel flashing. I think that's important. Watches, yeah. earrings, necklaces, any that, jewelry.
1: That gun barrel, you may be in the shade, is your gun barrel in the shade? Many times I've had that happen where I'll notice like, oh crap, you know, the the last third of my barrel is just straight up beaming right
0: now. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Straight spotlight, you know?
0: Yep, yep. You know, one thing that I think so many of us, you know, often take for granted, and maybe as we get older, we do a little bit better with this, but it's, taking mental notes and recalling those mental notes and you know yeah. something I'd mentioned earlier when having the knowledge before you step into the woods and then adding on to that knowledge while you're in the woods knowing what turkeys in a particular area like to do when they like and when they like to do it you know I've I hunted a piece of property for I don't know 10 or 12 years in a row and I learned that when turkeys roosted in a certain location, they would fly down and 95 times out of 100, they would go one way down a road, the same way down the road. They'd go down that road to a point, and then they would get off the road, go across the creek into the woods and on about their day. I can't, I, 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 once I figured that out, I think I killed three gobblers yeah. on that road. <laughs> and it would just be, you know, when I would hear them gobble on the roost and they were in that area, it's one of those places that if you were hunting with me, I would have said, Here's a hundred dollars. I'm gonna bet you that we're gonna kill a turkey. And
1: then you gotta weigh me- the options of take the hundred bucks by going and just shooting up in the air or
0: go get the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I probably should have changed, $100, that, $100 changed that wager yeah, a little bit. No, here, shake my a, hand. Okay. Boom. $100 that we're going to have the opportunity to kill a turkey. How about that? <laughs> so, but at at that point, I was killing. I'm not going to say I didn't miss because I, you know, that You're, was. You that had the was
1: opportunity to kill.
0: Right there at the same time, you know, this this season sticks out to me just because I did not do what I tell everyone to do nowadays and what I do myself nowadays. And that is. I did not pattern my gun prior to season, but that was the season that I killed eight turkeys and I missed eight turkeys.
1: Heck of a year.
0: Heck of a year, but boy, was it frustrating. And that was also the year, if you older hunters remember, that was the year that Heavy Shot broke their agreement or their agreement with Remington ended and they went out on their own. And Heavy Shot was not the same heavy shot as it was when it was Remington heavy shot
1: Mm.
0: and so the shells changed and I didn't pattern my gun and my gun went from shooting pretty much dead on to shooting a foot low and a foot left you can miss a lot of turkeys when you're shooting a foot low and a foot left
1: oh yeah no doubt
0: you know that but yeah that was right about that same time and you know the reason that i had so much success and i i've said it before i'll say it again and i'll say it again tomorrow is that i am a better woodsman than i am a turkey caller so when i hunt a new place it's i'm not going to say rare because it does happen but it usually takes me a few days to really get knowledge of the land and knowledge of the turkeys to where I can go in there and have success. And so, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of hunters out there that what we talked about, you know, you can take these guys and drop them off in a piece of property and they're going to come back with a Turkey.
1: Yeah. And... If
0: they've never been there before, but I'm usually not one of those. I've got to take time and learn the turkeys and learn the land. And that's all to me is part of woodsmanship. And You know, I'm never going to dazzle a turkey with my turkey calling, but I can whack the fire out of one if I know I'm where he wants to be.
1: Yeah, no doubt. One thing you and I can't control but can adapt to is the weather. And we've touched on this with previous guests, but in my experience, and everybody knows that it seems now it's raining, look for openings of some sort, clear cut, field, food plot, whatever it is. They like to be in the open and right. During and after the rain. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be in there as long as those drops are falling off the leaves. They're going to be out there. Drying off, shaking off those feathers, getting sun if it gets sunny afterwards. They're going to be out there. Wind. Huge. I mean, I've said it a thousand times I've said it once. I'd rather hunt turkeys in the rain than the wind all day, every day.
0: I believe we'd all agree with that.
1: Especially on flat ground, because you can't get out of it, you know. Yeah. the, The thing with wind... The, if you're in hillier ground, or if there's anything you can find that will shield turkeys from the wind, go to those spots. You know, if it's the leeward side of a mountain or a ridge, hunt those areas. I mean, you're the the good part about it. If you're in hill country, is you pretty much can say, hey, here's where they're gonna be if they're around. They're not gonna be on this side of the hill. They're gonna be on this side. You know, so at least you can knock out fifty percent of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the other thing with wind that i learned from duck hunting the direction it's blowing is a huge impact on whether or not you hear that turkey gobble
0: yep i'm glad you brought that up
1: i mean it is so duck hunting the way i learned i figured this out and apply i try to apply everything i learned in the woods or from hunting to turkeys but we have our neighbors who duck hunt and they're not very far from our blind and when the wind's blowing from their blind towards us it sounds when they shoot like it would pretty much flare our ducks like it sounds like they're right there when the wind's blowing from our blind towards theirs sometimes we can't even hear them shooting like we'll text them and be like hey man y'all y'all aren't hunting today and they're like no we're wearing them out you know we're like what and so you think about those are gunshots and the difference i I just can't explain to you the difference it's amazing but it doesn't even have to be a strong wind But if you start taking note of how many gobbles do you hear that are from upwind of you (laughs) compared to downwind, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So if I have an area, you know, that I know, okay, turkeys usually roost here, and I see that the wind in the morning is going to be eight miles an hour blowing out of the south, I want to be north of that area so that I can hear them, you know. And I'll I I re, that's that's the only thing I look at during turkey season weather wise because I don't care if it's a tornado or you know whatever I'm going turkey hunting but I look at that wind direction and sometimes I'll pick a spot over another spot specifically because hey I can't get in there and be on the correct wind side you know if it's windy I I'm and I know a pretty decent idea of where the turkeys like to roost I am going to be upwind of them yeah I mean that's that's just the bottom line so. That's been a huge thing I've learned just the past three to four years is that wind direction. I, I just never paid attention to it before. You know, I just go in there and all right, they usually roost right here. And I wonder how many of those mornings that turkey was lighting it up and I never heard him. <laughs> I mean, way
0: I more than you think.
1: We've all seen it in a field or on videos of people hunting in a field. You can see the turkey and you can see him gobble, but you cannot hear it. Yeah. And sometimes they're not even that far. I mean, I've, I've seen it before many times, especially out west. I mean, my gosh, you talk about somewhere where the wind always blows some of those prairie states. Mm-hmm. If you're hunting a creek bottom in Kansas and the wind's blowing twenty miles an hour from east to west, you better be on the west side of that creek bottom at daylight to listen, or you're not going to hear them, yeah, unless you're amongst them, you know, yep, yeah. so that to me, that's been a big adaption I've learned with the weather. And you know the rain things. Everybody kind of knows turkeys like to go in the opens. But that wind deal, that's that's huge. If you're you're not going to hear near the amount of turkeys per season if you're always upwind or downwind of them.
0: That is very true. And humidity is another thing that yeah. affects how far we can hear turkeys gobble.
1: That's why everybody thinks those Florida turkeys don't gobble much. It's not that they don't gobble much. You just can't hear them. There's big leaves and a bunch of humidity down there.
0: Uh, you probably have seen it. You've hunted Florida now three I think times, more three times, like I said, the same number of times I've hunted it. But the very first time I went, I watched a bird that was 125 yards from us, and it was dead still, no wind. <laughs> watched him in this cow pasture gobbling, and I never heard that turkey gobble at 125 yeah. yards.
1: That's why people say that Osceola's don't gobble it. <laughs> They gobble plenty, because, I mean, when I've got them in close, they'll light it up. But you just can't hear them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line.
0: Yep. uh, So
1: that's big. Weather's big, no doubt. And I got the last thing I have written down that has, I don't know how many turkeys this has killed for me, but it's been a bunch. You're easing in at daylight, and you're just slipping along. Maybe you've heard one gobble, maybe you haven't. And all of a sudden, you bust a turkey out of a tree you know oh crap you know i just blew it you know there goes a turkey out of the tree i go sit down on that tree immediately the same one the turkey flew out of and i've killed a ton of gobblers that way because most of the time it's been a hen And alabama one time it was actually a gobbler that flew out of the tree and i was all sick but i still went and sat down on his tree well guess what he had buddies Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they knew what tree their buddy was supposed to be in and i i mean I've had it work time and time and time again. If you bust a turkey out of a tree, unless you have somewhere you know you need to be that's better, I always go sit on that tree. And I had, I've had, i had several times where I could tell that the gobbler was, you know, 200 yards, and I hear the hens calling, and I'll go run them off out of the tree. And I had one time, man, I went and flew those jokers off, you know, ran over there and scared them off, waving my arms, and the hens flew perfectly away from the gobbler. Soon as he heard those wing beats, I heard him fly down and I had to jump to a tree because he was running to me. I had to shoot him like in self defense. I never called. He just heard those wing beats. Yeah. And I shot him and literally had to use the flash on my phone to take a picture of him. (laughs) It was dark. But he was, he heard wing beats, you know, in his mind, he heard three or four hens flying and thought, oh, girls are down. Here I come. Yeah. And man, it was crazy. It was just, awesome. That was, that was a hunt a couple of years ago, but I never called. All I did was I purposefully ran the hens off and sat on their tree. And within five minutes I was standing on the gobbler. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's been a principle I've been applying for a couple of years now, if, if especially early season, I mean, open and weak, if you run one turkey out of a tree, I would be shocked if there's not more around that spot. Yeah. And it's just, it, always, it just seems to work. I don't know. It seems to work. Worst case, it doesn't work, and you're sitting still and hopefully hear one goblin in the distance or something, but I, I'm i a big believer in that. When I run one out of a tree, I'm sitting on that. I mean, I want to be on... If he's in that big pine tree to the left, I saw it blow out of there. Your boy's sitting with his back against that pine tree to the left, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've been with you know people before, and we've busted turkey, and they're throwing their hat and cussing and all mad, and I'm like... Shut up! Go sit down. Right there, quick! You know, hurry up. (laughs) Yeah. Like what? And then all of a sudden, one rips it eighty yards off, and they're like, "Holy crap!" (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, yeah, we just upped our odds, is what we did. We got rid of one.
0: Yes, indeed. It it works from time to time. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean that. I don't. I never. I'm not going to try to make a practice out of running turkeys over tree unless I know that the hens and gobblers are separated. If I know that. i will make a darn good practice out of running the hens off yeah but it happens accidentally more often than it does purposefully but even if it accidentally happens use it to your advantage
0: yeah so i want to share one other thing as well and we're bumping well actually i think we've exceeded an hour at this point so we probably ought to wrap this thing up pretty soon but
1: I could go all day on
0: this one. I could too. This is <laughs> There's just so much to talk about. So you shared a good tip there. And I am going to share a tip with our public and private ground hunters alike. And the tip that I'm going to share is going to be opposite for each one. So private ground hunters, do not walk down the middle of a road. You need to be on the side of the road. Part of your woodsmanship, woodsmanship, you need to be part of the woods. And if you're in the middle of a road, you're not in the woods. You're not part of the woods. You're part of the road. And so there's two reasons. One reason is you're not going to round a curve in the road and spook a bird off. But if you hear one gobble, you're already on the side of the road. All you've got to do is just kind of melt into the woods. But the other part of it is, You can use the curves in that road to your advantage. You can get up to the curve in the road. And I did this in Kentucky. I was the last of our group. I think there were seven or eight of us on this trip. I was the last one in the group to kill a turkey. And what I did was it was about noon and I had John, Yankee John, drop me on one of the roads where we had been seeing turkeys strutting in the middle of the day. For like two days straight I said John drop me here 100 yards away from where we've been seeing these birds and I got on the edge of the road hugged the woods hugged the trees all the way down I got every curve I would get to I would stop and I would listen before I went around that curve I got to one of them and I heard good thing to hear (laughs) and I said all right I pretty much got a 50-50 shot right here where I am. He's either coming my way or he's going the other way. So I backed in the woods, 10 yards off the road, good little hiding spot at a, the base of a hill behind me, kind of tucked in into some rocks, called, didn't hear anything except, and it's getting louder. Then I see a hen, and she walks about, seven or eight feet past that curve coming to me past the curve and then there he is full strut comes out right behind her and i whacked him at about 20 steps but if you take it slow on those roads and stay out of the middle of the road you can get to the edge quicker you can get to the curves in the road you can use your ears and if you don't hear anything then what i like to do is take my binoculars and i'll usually squat down because most of the time you got vegetation that's waist high or higher and not much vegetation that's, you know, waist higher or or shorter. And I want to be able to see down that road before whatever's down that road can see me. And I'll just inch out around that curve around, you know, whatever kind of foliage or vegetation there is on the side of that road or whatever kind of terrain topographical feature might be there to block me and I'm just peeking the entire time as I go a little bit further out a little bit further out a little bit further out until I can make sure there's nothing down there in that road that I need to know about. And so private ground hunters, that's your tip. Public ground hunters, I want you to stay out of the road because personally, if you're hunting public ground in the southeast especially, our our guest in Louisiana, their research proved this point. Where are the turkeys hearing all of us hunters call from the roads. Get into the woods, and even if you're just in the woods 25, 50 yards, but you're following the the direction of the road the way you want to go, get off of that road. That gobbler has heard 50 hens from the time before season ever started until the day that you're in there hunting. That gobbler's heard 50 hens walking down that road calling. And covering a lot of ground in the process.
1: And some hens didn't sound too good to me A lot of those
0: hens didn't sound real good. A lot of those owls on that same in that same (laughs) location didn't sound real good. And a lot of those crows sounded like they were gagging on a plastic bag. Peacocks, I mean they they've heard everything. Coughing, (laughs) talking, they they have heard it all on that road. I'm not saying that you can't call one down that road. But I'm telling you, your odds are much greater not trying to call one down that road. I'm not saying you can't get one to shot gobble from that road, but your odds are much better, in my opinion, of getting one to shot gobble when you're not on that road and you're in the woods being part of the woods. So there's a, a, a you know, I'm not saying it's it's a little bit of an opposite tip, but it's a lot of the same thing. You know, on private ground, I think we can cover those, you know, walk up and down those roads and have more success getting up, striking a bird and, and killing a bird on one of those roads. But on public ground, get off of them, get away from where, what everybody else is doing. Yeah. So.
1: That's it. That's a good point. I think that's a good way to wrap up the
0: discussion. Yep. 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 Man, well, that's been fun. And I agree with you. I mean, you know, we, you and I could throw out stuff like this all day long and it's all part of woodsmanship. It's all stuff that we've learned from being out there and, you know, the things that we've had success doing mm-hmm. that we've put into the vault and we can come back and we can access when we need to. And, yep. you know, that is being a good woodsman. So I've enjoyed this. Series. Yeah, this great. has been really good.
1: Really, both series have been awesome, but just great guests and cool topics and ones we all can appreciate and learn from. So I've, I've enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. We've got one more awesome series coming up. We're going to do a hunt for you guys next week. We'll get Cameron to share one of his hunts from this past season next week. And then the following week, we're going to pick up with episode one of our late season tactics series All right. so that will be a good one and i am going to talk to you cameron about an idea that i have for a guest to come on that i think can really shed some good light on late season tactics so sweet. we'll talk about that shortly
1: sweet works for me i'm looking forward to it and hope you guys are enjoying it we've had some good feedback on the series idea seems like most of y'all are enjoying it so thank y'all for listening and We'll hopefully keep putting out some good stuff. I might break out one of my two better hunts from the season for next week. Reward our July listeners.
0: All right. Very cool.
1: (laughs) Definitely not telling y'all where I was, but (laughs) it's a good
0: hunt. Well, I'm looking forward to it. That's going to be, that'll be fun. I'm, I'm jonesing, man. You know, just being out in the woods, even though it was 95 degrees Saturday was a pleasure it was a delight but mm-hmm. it would have been more delightful having a shotgun on my shoulder turkey vest on my back and a diaphragm call in my mouth
1: no doubt so, no doubt you want to um, wrap us up
0: yeah i'm going to do a favor of the week real quick and then we'll oh, wrap yeah. this thing up favor of the week is this i'm i'm going to ask you for a little bit of help and you may not be able to help me because you may not be able to remember the guy's name off the top of your head who was it that clued you in on hunting raccoons this time of year?
1: Jimmy White.
0: Okay. And it was on Facebook or Instagram that you saw his videos?
1: Facebook.
0: So you guys look up Jimmy White. I would just go to Facebook, search Jimmy White raccoon hunting.
1: He's got, he's just Jimmy White on here. And his profile picture is him doing a selfie with two coyotes dead behind
0: him. He's a predator-killing fool, then. I like that. Yes. So check out the videos about hunting raccoons this time of year, and you guys get out in the woods and do it. I'm going to to do it this coming weekend. So Cameron's got me really fired up about it. I'm looking forward to getting out there and trying it. So you guys yep. do the same, if it's legal. Yeah, big part. Do that. <laughs> yep.
1: And a lot of states, if, even if it doesn't say so in the regs, check further if it's private land because a lot of states have uh, yeah. where you can get depredation permits or it's just open to you to hunt on private land so yeah check that out but yeah it's it's pretty awesome i've been i'll share again i'm using a fox pro patriot i bought the fox pro SP60 speaker to go with it just to give me a little more vo- volume and then the the sound that's been killing almost all of them is the it's from Fox Pro. I had to download it off their website, but it's Young Raccoon Distress. And then I also will swap to MFK Young Coon Distress sometimes too. But that, that Fox Pro sound, Young Raccoon Distress, that's the one that's been murdering them. And I mean, it's been working. You know, it's not 100%. You're going to have to make several Nothing sets. I've yeah. take several sets, you know, and be where they're not going to come from a half mile. I think you got to be within 200 yards of a coon that's in a tree. If you do that and put that sound on if it's a, it's coming just get ready and have your gun ready cuz I mean we had the one we the first one we killed Sunday probably was when I unmuted maybe 15 seconds and it was dead. Mm. I mean it was just they'll come balling out of no, it's, I don't know if like those are in a hole in the ground or what but they just come <laughs> just appear. I mean it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. it's been working. We've killed I mean like I said four hunts we've killed 12 and have hunted, you know, mostly you know, all during the day and usually an hour to two hours of hunting. So.
0: How long are you spending at a set?
1: Three to four minutes max. If they're oh, not there within two minutes, you're pretty much might as well be moving.
0: You get to move around a good bit. It'd be a great opportunity to take a kid.
1: Oh, yeah. all. Up. And you, you don't have to wear camo. I wore shorts and tennis shoes and a t-shirt. I mean, I just stand up by a tree. They're coming. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy, super easy uh usually i just drive my truck down the road hop out on our gravel road walk in the woods maybe 100 yards set it call for three minutes kill or don't kill come back drive up the road a little ways get out do it again it's super easy
0: too cool you guys go do that tag me and cameron in some of your photos on social media of you with your raccoons this coming week we look forward to seeing those and thank you guys so much for tuning in this week We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review, and make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com